Hi everybody, welcome to another Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard podcast. I'm Aaron Meikle, the host as usual. This is one of our shorter ones, our break feeds. <clears throat> You'll have probably already listened to a couple of them, I hope you have. I'm down at the uh, Winter Seminar, or the postponed Winter Seminar in Gore, catching up with some of the key speakers. Uh, we're just about to talk to Joanne Stevenson and Jack Cox. Um, their title of their presentation today is Navigating the Unimaginable, Personal and Business Resilience in an Increasingly Complex Industry. They've got a fairly long slot. Um, we're not going to have that length of time here. Just wanted to pick out the key bits, and then we'll direct you to where you can perhaps find some more information and, and follow up on it a wee bit. But first, Joanne, I'll go to you. You're a principal consultant at Resilient Organisations Limited. So, what's that? Why do you do it? Is it a new thing? How long have you been doing that for? Um, so, the work that we've been doing at Resilient Organisations has been going on for about 15 years, mm-hmm. and it was really um, groundbreaking in its day, um, looking at organisational resilience as opposed mm-hmm. to the resilience of infrastructure systems or something more concrete. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at how systems kind of bounce back from crisis. Yep. And um, so we started kind of as an um, academic endeavor and mm-hmm. have become a consulting firm in the last five years. Um, and as a principal consultant, I do a mix of research. So I work with you know, large government funds or things that are funded by private industry to understand how um, infrastructure systems or businesses or uh, ec- mm. economies are affected by crises and get through them and successfully kind of learn and adapt yep. and do well. So that the, the resilience thing, for want of a better word, it's probably mm. not a fair way to seems to be quite um, popular yep. or, or um, a lot of people are engaging in it at the moment. Um, 15 years even is not that long. Yep. Is it a relatively new area of academic research and practice or why is it, or is it something about modern life? What, what, why is it becoming... A yeah, it's, thing it's, at the moment. it's a concept that's creeped in from mm-hmm. a lot of different places. So it kind of started in ecology and engineering, mm-hmm. and that was kind of in the 70s. And it's it's really crept into psychology mm-hmm. and business science. Um, and it's really, I, I say in the present the presentation that we're going to give shortly, that it's it's become a term that's so overused that people almost roll their eyes when they hear it because mm. they're like, oh, resilience. They just, you know, everything's resilient. Yep. Everybody that's been through a drought, you know, we in North Canterbury were through a drought and an earthquake and, you know, and Bovis and mm. we've been called resilient more times than we can count and people don't want to hear it anymore. Yep. And so it's a, ter- it's a term that really kind of gets overused, but I think it's still really meaningful mm-hmm. um, because, as we say in the title of our presentation, the industry's getting really complex and that's okay. all industries, but... You'll see it especially in farming. There's just so much that people need to keep track of and pay attention to. And so this idea of resilience, of being able to kind of not plan for everything Mm -hmm. because you don't know what's coming next, but having the capabilities to respond and to do well regardless of what Mm -hmm. comes at you is really, I think, critical in farming right now. And so resilience, even though it's a term that's really overused, I think it's possibly more important than ever in farming at the moment. And so what's your background? I mean, have you an academic interest in this stuff? And was it in uh, human sciences, mm-hmm. psychology, or economics type that you talked about a number of yes. approaches and applications? Yes. How did you get into and it? My, and my career has probably followed that same mm-hmm. twisting route. Um, I started in environmental science and became interested in natural mm-hmm. hazards and disasters. And so everywhere I go, a disaster happens, and I happen mm-hmm. to be able to study it. Um, so, uh, you know, I started with tornadoes in Illinois, which is where I'm yep. from and moved to, uh, did some traveling in Scotland and there was some massive flooding there. Mm-hmm. So I looked at insurance industry and responses to flooding mm-hmm. there. Moved to the south coast of the United States and there was Hurricane Katrina and I got to study that from a geography, economic geography perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, through this I was accumulating degrees and that. And then I moved to Christchurch to kind of have a quiet life with my husband um, in 2010 and mm-hmm. the earthquakes happened. And um, 
just a couple months after I arrived. So sorry about that. Are and, you uh, <laughs> planning on shifting anywhere else? <laughs> well, then I shifted to Cheviot, which is two hours north of uh, Christchurch, and uh, uh, about a year later we had the Kaikoura earthquakes. <laughs> Um, and, on, and a three-year drought. You're not planning on going anywhere else at the moment, just <laughs> well, to let people see, know? I'm going to stay put. <laughs> All right. Hey, look, uh, so um, just we're about to talk to, to Jack, who's a farmer, um, but farmers or New Zealand farmers as a whole, and it's a bit tricky to stereotype, but do you find they're naturally resilient people or they because they tend to like to have mm. control of things that that can count against it? You talked about you know, not yeah. necessarily having everything under control. I don't think there is anything such thing as naturally resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think that it is actually something that you have to consciously work on. I think that there's something about farming mindset that mm. means that you have to be aware of everything and as farmers mm-hmm. you have your there's no big organization to rest back on mm-hmm. you know like if you're in a corporation some you know surely an accounting isn't thinking about the resilience of the entire hospital system whereas farmers have to be aware of the entire system so there's they're probably mm-hmm. more switched on and, and able to absorb how they have to mm-hmm. be watching but i think that there's no there's no natural resilience yeah, it's something that everyone has to work on all the time i would have guessed you know a lot of them would describe themselves as resilient yep. people yeah but yeah. yeah and that's not just farmers you're talking about no. humans generally um, yep. it's not a natural thing it's something we need to i think a skill we i need think to. most people will get through and most people mm-hmm. will survive but as i say in my presentation surviving and getting through isn't actually good enough you have to be okay. able to thrive in uncertainty and that means being able to actually learn and change with the times and of course you know new zealand is a, is a wonderful place and our industries farming is, has carried on for you know decades and decades so it is resilient in that yep. way but it's it's that openness to continually changing and learning that that really defines resilience yep. for me okay jack you're described here in the bio as central otago farmer which i think is um vast understatement even by new zealand standards <laughs> uh, it's not just let's start with the the, the basic geographical so it's not just any farm you live and run which where yeah. where do you live day to day we live uh, in the queenstown area in the wakatabu area um on the edge of Lake Wakatipa uh, on a high country station mm. and uh, it's been in my wife's family for over 40 years and, uh, and my wife and I now run it and own the stock and plant and mm-hmm. lease the, uh, the land off the, the family trust and we're, uh, we're bringing up a couple of great little kids who uh, do cross one at school at home and, uh, and then we've got a, a team on the, on the farm um, and, uh, and a small tourism business mm. as well and uh, so there's you know, 20 of us living there yeah uh, yes. Even though we're, you know, we're we're very isolated from a uh, rural, you know, your standard rural community perspective, we uh, we have quite a community of us just on, on yep. one farm. And you're a short distance from probably one of the most busiest yeah, we're, parts we're in New Zealand. Forty-five minute boat ride, boat ride from uh, centre of Queenstown. Queenstown. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite a a very well known place and in a very um, well known or. Um, uh, well-known place but also where you've got a lot of other people keeping an eye on what's going and a lot of other yes, people coming yeah. and going but um you and i were just sort of comparing our histories and i was we're working back where we've come across each other which has happened repeatedly um it's not really the place we haven't got that long here to go through that but why are you here why are you talking today i mean you've got a specific story that, so um, um, you want to outline and tell us about yeah so uh when i I'm, when i'm about to talk in this presentation i'm uh i'm talking about a a situation and a need that our family had mm-hmm. for resilience, and uh, and it's it's really a family story. But I'm the the main mm-hmm. actor um, featuring through it because uh, it was a it was a health situation that uh, that happened to me, or a health yeah. you know event that happened to me. So it's from my perspective, and it's and it, and it is about me. But it's really you know, if you're talking resilience, it's our 
family's resilience that's mm-hmm. uh, that's got us through. Um, so background, as as you said, we're uh, we live in a wonderful place, um, and uh, Kate and I have been there about nearly eleven years now, mm-hmm. uh, bringing up two kids, uh, Jess and Tom, who were at the time of this this uh, brain injury I had, they were three and one, and uh, Kate's parents were semi-retired mm-hmm. on the farm with us, and. Uh, and then we had on, on the farm stuff a couple of uh, young shepherds and a cock and handyman and uh, and Kate's dad was, was part time on the farm and, and we were um, running but over 30,000 stock units and we had a uh, a small tourism business that uh, we had a couple running uh-huh. uh, for us uh, at the time as well so uh, and everything was great you know we were in our mid 30s we yep. were uh, fit and healthy and loving life awesome little kids oh. and uh, all was good and then um and then on a Tuesday night, uh, just some random Tuesday night in March, uh, I got a cracking headache like you wouldn't believe, and uh, so bad I was sick a few times. Mm. And uh, Kate was working at a tourism event we had on the farm at the time, and uh, and I just, I, I, I honestly felt, you know, you could die here, mate, if mm. you don't do something. You need to go to hospital, and um, you know they're not uh, nice thoughts to be having. No, no. And you know, my body was sort of taking over. You know, I was yep. sort of felt a bit out of control, and. Uh, Rang Kate, she was down at a tourism event, she said, oh, I just said you've got to come home, mm. and uh, she came home expecting one of the kids to uh, be having a meltdown mm. and, and Dad to be tearing his hair out, <laughs> but, um, but I was in uh, I was in bed, cold, pale, sweating, and told her I, you know, I need to go to hospital, mm. I need to ring 111. Uh, she did, and I had a seizure while she was on the phone, and then uh, a paramedic arrived from uh, Queenstown, and she... Uh, Sort of quickly ascertained that I was having a major brain injury mm-hmm. and needed to go to neurosurgery in Dunedin, which, uh, thanks to the good people of Otago and Southland, was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then a rescued helicopter came from uh, Dunedin with a doctor mm-hmm. and nurse out of ICU, ICU recovery team they call them, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and plucked me out of the farm in the middle of the night and uh, took me to Dunedin. I had a pulmonary edema before they got there, uh, where your lungs start mm-hmm. bleeding. And then a cardiac arrest in the helicopter on the way to Dunedin, where your heart stopped. So, uh, so you know, I, I was touch and go whether I was going to make it that first day or so. And Prof De Ritter, who was the uh, neurosurgeon uh, on call that night, mm-hmm. he came down at I think four in the morning, uh, looked at the CT scan pictures, and, and realised what was going on. Drilled a hole in my skull and, and started draining the blood out, mm-hmm. and, and that drain was there for several weeks, and they. I was then shipped to Christchurch and they uh, they fixed the aneurysm up there because of the, the type of aneurysm mm-hmm. it was. Uh, and it was an aneurysm that caused the, the hemorrhage. And then I had three months in hospital, a um, couple more surgeries. So about four months in hospital, three months, uh, about three months in hospital, four mm-hmm. surgeries by that stage. And then um, went home to the farm and was there for a couple of years, up and down a bit over those couple of years, a few more surgeries, another month in hospital. And then I had two years of actually being really good. Uh, got up to 90%, recovered, mm-hmm. basically full-time working on the farm between sharing the, the uh, correspondence school supervision mm-hmm. with, with Kate of the kids and uh, and working on the farm. And uh, and then, <clears throat> yeah, about the end of 2016, 17, uh, started going downhill again, had a series of... Uh, you know, symptoms and, and issues, another half a dozen surgeries in the next uh-huh. couple of years, back in a walking frame, um, quite a lot of nerve damage, had to learn to uh, to walk again, had to learn to work, walk again twice, uh, had to learn to talk again at one uh-huh. stage, um, 
and yeah, you know, with some of the nerve damage, couldn't uh, couldn't tie my shoelaces, couldn't shake anyone's hand, uh-huh. uh, you know, for for months. Um, and then then we've had a year of you know things sort of really improving over uh, over the last uh-huh. uh, well, not quite a year, but uh, I'm I'm back now to uh-huh. uh, to probably about ninety percent, and um, you know things are hopefully. Uh, you know, yeah. pretty stable in the in the future, but there will be more ups and downs, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll spend more time yep. in Dunedin, hopefully in the new hospital, not the <laughs> uh, not the old one. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sort of realised and accepted that, that this is a lifelong mm. illness of injury I've got, and uh, and I just need yep. to be proactive and aware, and uh, and um, you know, get to hospital as quick as I can if uh, mm-hmm. if things start turning to custard. Okay, so that probably tops having a drought or something like that for a fairly challenging story, to be fair, Jack. Um, but in terms of the, what you're going to talk about today, and we've talked about you know what people consider themselves resilient, etc. Before this happened, did you um, feel that you had stuff in place, you were a fairly resilient person, the business was well set up, and that sort of thing? Oh, we, we probably felt we had a reasonably yeah. uh, you know, resilient business. It was quite a simple conservative policy even though it's a big property and a lot of stock units um, and low staff we thought things were reasonably simple mm-hmm. and you know easy to uh, to manage and, and Kate's father he, he knows the property better than anyone yep. uh, and the stock and, and he came and ran it again for six months mm-hmm. in his late 60s um, and then Kate ran it for about a year and then I, I was well enough that Kate and I could run it together for uh, for a couple of years, mm. and and we still do, and and we've now got a stock manager who runs the stock yep. side of things. So, I guess you know that side of things was um, you know was simple enough that uh, you know we could um, you know get somebody in to, uh, mm. to 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 do things. But what happened to you? I mean, it was fairly extreme. So, but all sorts of things happened to other farmers. <clears throat> if looking back now, what would you have changed or wish you had in place before? that happened or what would be your advice to sort of other farmers to what oh, can you do to prepare for that sort of thing or is it just something we're going to talk a wee bit more about I, 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 Joe would know better than, than me what you can do but I, I guess it's um, you know, keeping your, your business simple enough mm-hmm. makes it easier transferred or easier for somebody else to manage mm-hmm. um, and I think having key, your key relationships is, is really important you know, with your friends and family yep. um, and uh, with those people that are working in your business, so if if something happens, you know, other people can uh, can help you, and uh, you know that's been a real big part of our uh, us, us getting through. Mm. Uh, you know, for a start, um, you know the the relationships we, that we had within the family, and yep. uh, and you know with the uh, external businesses we uh, we work with, um, you know, are a huge help, okay. and. Uh, yeah, and, and, and simplifying things where we could. It was a simple business anyway, but simplifying mm-hmm. things where we could has been important. So that's probably the right time, Julian, to come back to you because looking at the, the, the background information of what you're talking about today, one of the lines that struck me was building resilience in everything a business does. So this isn't about having a, an investor, a unit trust or a life insurance or anything like that. And it was a bit of, I sort of put Jack on the spot to lead to this. It wasn't saying there was X or Y practical or, or concrete things you could do. It's more a mindset or an approach? What are you, what are you talking both. about there? It's definitely both. And when Jack, because Jack and I have known each other mm. for a long time, and when he said that we should maybe look at doing a presentation together, I thought, well, I do business resilience, and your story is more of a personal health story, mm-hmm. and that's not what I, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not, you know, that's mm. not my background. But when he started working through how everything played out, it was just mind-blowing to me how well it fits with everything mm. we've researched about business and organizational resilience. So when we talk about organizational resilience, we tend to, 
boil it down to three key factors. You have leadership and culture, change readiness, and networks and relationships. Uh-huh. And the, you'll see, you know, the people that are able to, to watch Jack's presentation today will see that the, the leadership and culture was, was, there was some really great structures there in place already. So there was, you know, people on the farm, more than one person on the farm who could make critical uh-huh. decisions. So you already had that because Kate's pretty switched on and you had Robert there, the father-in-law, who already knew. So if Jack dropped out, there was people there who uh-huh. could keep the business running, which is an amazing asset that not a lot of farmers, that many people uh-huh. don't have. Um, and they also had, you know, in the change readiness, so that's the, the second thing, they had kind of a unity of purpose, which is a term, it's a very academic term, but uh-huh. you guys got, knew what your priorities were as the business. And mm-hmm. you've talked a lot, you know, we've talked a bit offline about how you had to learn to let go of a little bit mm, bit of mm. control and let let but you all knew where you were going mm, and uh, that's a huge part of change readiness uh-huh. and like you said you know change readiness for for some organizations that means writing out a big emergency plan mm. but for for small businesses like farms it can mean just being aware that that things are complicated and things mm. can happen and like Jack said having a simple enough system that gives you the flexibility to respond mm. um, and then the networks and relationships one is the one that really you hammer home really well and that was you know you had really good pretty pretty solid working relationships in your business before the event and people that you could call on and good good friends but then that really you added the relationships that you needed throughout your recovery and you let people help you and you learned a lot about kind of the the power of depending on other people and how important that can be mm-hmm. um, huh. and so yeah, there's there's just so much there that was really important, and so it's both elements. You know, I said that that kind of line about resilience is surviving through crisis, but also thriving in uncertainty. Uh-huh. And Jack's story really embodies kind of that. You got through, and that's what a lot of people think resilience is, but that's not enough. You have to be able to change and adapt and uh-huh. have learning in your system. And I think, I I think. Jack's story is really kind of, you could parallel it with just the story of farming in New Zealand. Mm. You know, you get slammed with something, <laughs> and then you you kind of fall down, but then you get back up, and you mm. work really hard, and then something else happens, yeah. and you're set back, and then you, you know, you learn and mm. do something different, mm. and yeah, so it's, it's yeah. really, it's, a, it's, it's your story, but it's also everybody's story. Mm. And I think the more times you get slammed, um, the more confidence you can, you have that mm-hmm. you're going to recover, and yep. uh, you know, I've, I've, had to relearn to walk multiple times and you know last winter I was in a in a walking frame for two months mm-hmm. and um you know prior for a week prior to that I was getting you know walking around arm in arm with two nurses uh, yeah. <laughs> but um you know and, and now I'm probably back to 90 percent but uh having done that and you know all the other pickups and setbacks over the previous few years mm-hmm. uh it gives you confidence that you can uh, mm-hmm. you know you can get through this and um you know you can handle it and it's like uh yeah, we had a, a really dry uh, summer last year in the south, probably one of the driest summers mm-hmm. ever. And uh, and while I wasn't at the coalface doing the stock work every day, I was still you know actively involved in mm-hmm. the decision making. And um, yeah, I, I found it much less stressful, um, even though we were in the driest summer we've mm-hmm. ever had, than we'd had you know one five or six years earlier that was moderately dry. I found very stressful, but then. From the learnings I'd got out of that moderately dry year and the yep. confidence I'd gained out of it, then we get a screaming drought. Um, oh yeah, that's what we do. We we act here mm. and we do this quickly. And uh, okay, it hasn't rained now. Let's get those uh, those stock off. And um, mm-hmm. you know, the, you you get confidence from from you know learning the hard way. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. 
So just sort of building on that, and, and don't want to take up too much time because A, you have a presentation to get to, and B, you want to hear some of the other speakers, but I guess you, you sort of touched on it, the, the farming, it's not unique, but it's one of the key things of farming is the professional and the personal sort of combined, that you can't, it's not just a personal health issue, it's not just, it's a, not just a business issue, the, the two are in, entwined. But you've got three things you've sort of, I picked up in the blurb, um, let's do them in reverse order, you talked about one of the things for building resilience and, and a bit, everything a business does is to stay lean while getting what they need. Mm. What are we? What are you talking about there? Whose phrase was that? Yours, Joanne? I'm not sure actually. It's no, mine. No. 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 So keeping things simple, systems. What do you? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes that sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think if if things are simple, then um, you know they they can be replicated mm-hmm. and understood by yep. anyone else who's coming in to uh, to help you out. Mm. Um, because you had a pretty big business, thirty thousand odd stock units is still. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, but you had it was fairly simple systems. Fairly simple yeah. systems, yeah. Quite a lot yeah. of stock classes, but mm-hmm. you know, each stock class is pretty simple, so um, you know, relatively easy to uh, to come in and get your head around. Uh, you know, what are the mm-hmm. key things you you need to be doing and when? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The other one was, um, and you'd sort of, t- I think, you used the word leaders and people like that. support leaders across your business. Mm. Yeah. So that's. That's a tricky one for for farmers who often mm. think of the, it's you know a solo yeah. person or maybe a person and their their wife and maybe a, a son or something coming onto the farm, um, and there's there's a lot of systems where you have one person making all the key decisions and mm-hmm. that person knows where all the paperwork is and if that person drops out of the system you're you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so supporting leaders across the the business means that everybody should kind of be aware of what's going on, aware of the key priorities. Um, and actually empowering other people in your business to make decisions without your uh-huh. direct input. We, we've we've really worked on that on our farm. I live, we farm in North Canberra, and we have a young shepherd, who, shepherd who's come on, and we've given him kind of the run of a certain flock of sheep. And uh, Mark teases me for saying flock, and he's a mob, but <laughs> I'm American. Um, and And so he's empowered to make decisions about that mob, but it also makes him feel engaged in the uh-huh. business and able to kind of make decisions in a crisis point. And so yeah. the more kind of engagement that you have in unity of purpose, uh-huh. I think the better off you're going to be in any kind of crisis, even if the boss doesn't drop out for a few mm-hmm. months. Um, uh-huh. It gives people a sense of ownership of what's going on, and that's key. Yep. And whether by design or chance, Jack, that's sort of what you had in your business, you're saying, with Kate and with I guess, your I father guess that's and all. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't necessarily what you're anticipating it to wasn't be useful, what but it's happened to be. More, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and fortunately, as it turned out at the time, Kate and I, had, uh, we'd had a catch-up the weekend previous. It was a Tuesday night, I went to hospital, and uh, on the Sunday we'd had a, a, you know, a good catch-up mm-hmm. about what was going on, where everything was. And, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. she was able to talk to Robert and say, well, yeah, Jack's really worried about those, yeah. those cattle, and he's you know, planning to do that with them and this or them. And, uh, yeah, so again, so that was by chance, not by design, but that's the sort of thing you're was, talking that about. That was something we were doing you know, on a monthly yeah. basis, having a good catch-up, but it was, yeah, it was permanent, but it just yeah. happened to fall. That, that's the yeah. sort of thing you encourage yes. people to do, yeah. that same yeah. sort of thing. If yeah. for whatever reason somebody's out of the business, then yes. the others are. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and the third one, and it, it, maybe it links to that, was developing flexible networks. Mm. What are you talking about there? Yeah, the networks thing is, is kind of one of my big mm-hmm. passions that's what I ended up doing a lot of my work on and um, so like like I've said a few times now most farm businesses are, are small mm-hmm. but they have you have so many suppliers and you have other really key business relationships like your lawyer like your accountant like your banker who you're gonna need to rely on in a crisis 
and forming those relationships after the shit hits the fan is probably not the right time. Mm-hmm. Having strong, the, mm-hmm. str- having strong, trusting relationships beforehand with the people that you might need to rely on in a crisis mm-hmm. is huge, um, and that kind of trust actually enables flexibility. Mm-hmm. So with a lot of the businesses we worked at. Um, with after the Christchurch earthquakes, the ones that had really good relationships with their supplier, where they could call up and say, "This is our situation. Uh-huh. We're going to need a few more months to, you know, get our uh, systems back running." And mm. having that kind of flexibility was was kind of the difference between making it and not making it, and yep. losing customers for mm. for those kind of businesses. And you see that in all types mm. of systems. Um, so you're even if you're one one man outstanding in a field. You're never alone. There's a whole network that you have to be interacting with. Yeah. So uh, on the property, you're on, I mean, the family, Kate's family, have been there quite a long time. 40, 40 plus years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they, I mean, it doesn't automatically, time in a business doesn't automatically build those relationships. You've got to, mm. I mean, you, I mean, knowing the family, you would have had fairly strong relationships. Yes. Yeah. 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 But just simply doing business for a long time doesn't automatically build them. That's something you no. have to, what are you talking about? Like, is it soft skills actually just? building yeah. the personal relationship yep. not just buying product at yeah. the cheapest and, price and like I said with the you know empowering decision makers on the farm helping people become invested in your business mm-hmm. so we have an annual meeting with our accountant and our lawyers mm-hmm. and we kind of bring them in not as just basic service providers but as people who are there to help us they, they know what we're trying to achieve and they feel more invested in our success and you know when we've been through kind of a recent crisis on the farm, mm-hmm. our lawyers ended up being one of our greatest assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we trusted that they had our best interests in mind. And um, yeah, so forming those kind of relationships is really critical. Is that something, uh, you don't want to stereotype, there's thousands and thousands of farmers and you get all extremes, but mm-hmm. on the whole, farmers tend to be, that's something they can find easy to do or they naturally do, build relationships. And farming's often a relationship business mm-hmm. more than a... Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I, okay. I've... I'm not sure whether they're better at it or worse. There's a range across. But it's something you think people should. I mean, yeah. I suspect I ask a lot of farmers, they go, "Oh, well, we're great. We have a beer every so often." Yes, and, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah. it's more than that. Yeah, I would say I would definitely say that the rural, the rural pace and the rural way of relating to people yeah. is definitely much more relationship focused. Mm. Um, yeah, but there's probably ways that you can do it and so yeah. that people feel actually invested and aware of what yep. you're doing in your business rather than just matey stuff. Yep. All right, look, I'm looking at time and how long we wanted this to be. This is um, quite different from what we've often done in some of these podcasts, but I think we could talk about it for ages. But you do get the chance to talk about it for ages that are people that are here. But for those that aren't, have listened to this and want the podcast to go on longer, um, can they find out more information about what you're talking about or get in touch? What's the best way to people to go and do their research find more to read well there's tons there's tons of really useful practical simple resources on our company's website Mm -hmm. which is www.resorgs.org.nz and there's booklets about preparing for crisis about what happens when things go wrong and Mm -hmm. um, lots of practical things i also will offer to do um I do little seminars with groups mm-hmm. of farmers who are interested in that kind of yep. thing and run resilience assessments, help people find their strengths and weaknesses and, and do some problem-based planning. Um, so that's something that we did in North Canterbury around the droughts and earthquakes. Um, and, yeah, there's... All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put that in the blurb. For those of you that are listening, have a look lower on your podcast app or the website if you're looking at it, and we'll have that link in the, the blurb when this goes live. But... Um, is there anything pressing you want to say here? But you're going to get a whole heap of time to talk about it with a bigger audience downstairs. So, all right, Jack.
Joanne, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you taking your time. You're actually missing the start of the seminar, but we'll get you back down there now. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you.